So I was in um in Morrison's yesterday in Skipton, North Yorkshire. So just just place that in your minds. I don't know what comes up when you think of Skipton. What comes up when you think of Skipton? My my father's youth because he a building uh, society was born in Gargrave, very near Skipton. Is it oh, a hot, Dad, is it a hot and happening place? Skipton is 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 a very charming market town, but it is inherently rural. Gargrave is lovely, Hugh. Um, Skipton also has a manufacturing plant for my wife's company. Is that right? Yes, indeed. She travels there regularly. What do they make? And indeed, a building society. What do they make there? They make um, they make little things to make dogs and cats feel better. Ah. Medicine. Medicine for. for Why don't you just say veterinary medicine? medicine. Anyway, carry on, Skipton. Can Gemma do us a deal on, on Hector's flea and worming tablet? <laughs> I imagine They're that she, she she gets them at least ten percent off. I would like I'd like them at cost. <laughs> if I'm honest, <laughs> I don't even know what she will be very aware. As um and, and I know that in the um over the years of changing the Wikipedia page, um so a, a listener has very kindly done that. Um, he included the fact that she was very high up in finance. Well, as it turns out, due to a recent career change, she is now very high up in supply chain project management. So um, mm. perhaps, first of all, if Wikipedia could be changed, and also your expectations, Rory, perhaps they can also be changed. Yeah, possibly, although, if, if anything, they're being, reversed, they're being reverted upwards rather than downwards anyway. So I was in Stipton Morrison's in the bread aisle on Market Street, and I, a couple of weeks ago, ordered, in the spirit of the pandemic, ordered some face masks from, from Redbubble, which is not a porn website. <laughs> the... But got them football themed. So as I've just modelled for you, you have. one is one is in the fashion of the Germany nineteen ninety kit. I've got a Boca Juniors one because I'm a hipster, an awful hipster, and I got one with the best badge in world football on it, which, as we all know, is the Mexican team Unam Pumas, and their badge is just a stylized puma. It is literally the greatest thing in the world, the greatest badge you can imagine. But anyway, I thought that's quite a good one because no one will really, really know what it is and it just looks like a stylised puma. People will think I'm some sort, some sort of badass. <laughs> anyway, so I'm... Maybe, maybe associated with some sort of, I don't know, cartel. Yeah, exactly. You put your hood up, face mask on, you look quite... What, in Skipton Morrison's? They're going to think you're part of some cartel? Their really? expectations are low. If somebody comes in look, looking, look, looking like some sort of Central American drug gang, he's going to really, really make waves. They were, they were going to diversify at some point. Come on. This is second home. Just just because they don't show it in narcos doesn't mean that cartel members don't have to do their shopping. It's during the breaks. That's when they do it. Like uh, Jack Bauer used to go to go to the loo during the breaks in, uh, in, in 24. But anyway, so I was walking up and down the bread aisle looking for finger rolls because we were doing sausages. And this man, you know that awkward thing you have now where people won't go near you because, because of the pandemic. So you do that thing where you kind of shuffle around and no one's sure who's going first. Everyone, everything's very polite and awkward. Anyway, this man was sort of dancing with me in that fashion, the trolley dance in the supermarket. And eventually he, got his, he worked his way past me and he turned around to me and said, I like your Unam Pumas mask. And I was thinking, wow. this is Skipton Morrison's. What a world we live in. And that's my story. That's an extraordinary moment of um, joined up thinking and um, globalism. Did you not talk to him further? Did you just leave it there? I just I said to him, I'm, you are the first person to have noticed that it's an Unam Pumas mask. But then I went to find the finger rolls. He went off to find the mashed carrots or whatever he was looking for. And it was just chips that passed in the night. Did you, Mexican did he, did football it, loving chips. Did he ask whether you could supply any, any high quality cocaine? Or 
No, because Chinch, he understood that it was an Unam Puma. Ah, I see, I see. Yeah, I'm yeah. actually concerned that uh, Rory got to the end of the aisle, tore off his mask in disgust and threw it away because it was no longer <laughs> hipster enough for him. This isn't niche enough for me. <laughs> this is Set Piece Benny, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. I'm Hugh Ferris. Joining me are Rory Smith, Mastermind, Stephen Wyeth, Going for Gold, oh. and Andy Hinchcliffe, Pointless. Oh. The, the food is, actually, I've, I've left them uh, out of shot, as it were, but um, I have provided for us all and for Stephen's two children six mini Krispy Kremes. Yeah, hang on, you've left them out of shot or you've left them in your car? Because I can't them, see them. Left them in my car to melt so that they, they appear like mashed carrots by the time that you Were they a variety of flavours or one? Variety of flavours. You've got two standard glazed... And Why then, are you telling me about them when then, I should be I should be either eating them or at least seeing them? Stephen, would you would you mind? Don't uh, explain how nice they fetching. are. The idea that you've left them out of shot, like we're in some kind of football podcast version of the Truman Show, <laughs> and you found the blind spot. Uh, so the food is definitely existing, and it is definitely nearby, Chinch. Stand by for that. But do you know what one. we're talking about today in terms of football? As per usual, I am across it. No. <laughs> I don't. We are talking about records, more pertinently our obsession with them, and the recent discovery that apparently if you don't break records, you are completely worthless and all your achievements are therefore redundant. I thought we were talking about something else. Did you change the topic right at the death? Uh, I'm no. sure we went to be discussing something else and I prepared some great speeches and now you're talking about records. Uh, Rory immediately changed it upon the suggestion oh. being offered. So that's your problem of only, only for a half an hour of your day looking at the text chain. I was babysitting. Yeah, it, it, it didn't last very long, Chinch. I think you need to just stay in the zone for Ooh, a little crispy, bit Oh, look, they're very small, though, aren't they, Steve? They're rubbish. Do you know how much six full-size It's not about the price, Hugh. It's not about cost. the price. It it's is. all about size. This is like, we can't currently go they're... to Warwick Services, Chinch, but we can bring Warwick Services to us. Are those Krispy Kremes really far away, or are they just tiny? Because th that's a pathetic attempt. It really is. They're not even normal-sized... Is one of them being saved for me? Uh, yes, you can obviously have the one which will, after I imagine a couple of days, look absolutely splendid. Um, but there are there are six. There are two two normal glaze, two chocolate, which have been um, uh, commandeered already by the children, and two kind of pinky that look like they're from The Simpsons. They're the size of polo mints. Poor, poor attempt. They cost six pounds. I don't care how much they got. A pound each. Six pounds. I don't care. Spend two pounds and get a bigger one. You can get in touch with the podcast setpiecemenu at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook and indeed on YouTube now as well. Ewan Haig continues to send us messages from his present but our past. After originally dipping his toe in the SPM waters contemporaneously, he then went back to episode one at the beginning of lockdown. Here comes Ewan with his latest missive. Dear Ketchup, mustard, guacamole, and no moistening condiments whatsoever. <laughs> I hope that you are all well and continuing to podcast. I'm into the 150s now, which means I'm nearly back to where I first began listening to your fine body of work in March 2020, episode 168. Reflecting back on over 150 pods, I am moved to ask the following question. Is the well-known football journalist Jonathan Wilson Rory Smith's nemesis? Or perhaps his evil twin? Or are they, in fact, the same person. Is this a Harry Potter, Lord Voldemort situation? Spoiler alert, he says. Both seeing into each other's minds and sharing part of the same soul. Both broadcasting a reverent football podcast while writing weighty tomes about innovative managers and tactics of the early 20th century. One distinction seems to be that Wilson loves cricket 
and Smith hates rugby union. But that could just be a cunning ruse to trick us into believing that they are actually two different people. Have Wilson and Smith ever been seen in the same room together? Or does one of them have an invisibility cloak? Keep up the good work, or rather, I assume you have kept up the good work, at least until episode 168. After that, who knows? That is from Ewan. Uh, well, I mean, I think, I think from if I'm honest, that Wilson hates rugby union too, just he's normal and intelligent. The um, No, we're not the same person, but we're, not en- we're certainly not enemies. We're not enemies, we're friends, me and Wilson. I mean, we're not... Yeah, well, there's no hostility. If you had I, a I fight, who, if you had a fight, who would win? Uh, How do you fight? I can't really... Vi- what kind of fighting technique would you use? I don't fight. Are you a biter? I'm not a, I'm not a fighter. and I'm, I'm, I'm not a biter, no. I'm neither. I just don't... I use my words. Mm. I learned that when I was three. Against his fists? That's going to be quite <laughs> tricky. I think the problem with Will, fighting Wilson would be that he would embark on some sort of story early doors about a previous fight that he's had, and it would bore me rigid. It's all in the intro to the fight. The body Although, of the fight wouldn't actually matter as much. It, he does listen, I think, Wilson, to the podcast. So um, so we should tell him that we love him and, and admire him enormously, but, you know, lesser than the stories. Uh, last week's pod was about the bottom three flaking out in what was supposed to be a relegation fight. Mike Swire emails, great show, he says, with an exclamation mark, suggesting no sarcasm whatsoever. I agree that the team as a whole should be motivated to avoid relegation. That was, of course, as part of our conversation last week. This ignores the individual motivation of some players, however, says Mike. If you are a very strong player on a team under the threat of going down, might you benefit if the team is relegated? For example, Norwich defender Max Ahrens is frequently discussed as a potential Spurs transfer target. Well, Mike is a Spurs fan, which is why he's interested in that. His transfer is much more likely if the team is relegated. The club's financial situation worsens and they seek to raise cash and lower their wage base. Despite his team getting relegated, Aaron's would benefit through higher long-term wages and lower likelihood that he would ever go back to the championship. Note, I'm just using Aaron's as a hypothetical, says Mike. I'm not accusing him of sandbagging it. Uh, Keep up the good work, uh, says Mike, uh, who is from Hillsborough. In Silicon Valley, California. But surely in that example, the beneficiary is not Max Ahrens. It would be Tottenham because they're likely to have to play, pay less for him. Norwich's survival or relegation probably isn't the determining factor on whether that transfer would go ahead, but it might have an impact on what the cost would be. I heard someone on what I can only assume was the radio the other day making the really good point that Daniel Farker has cost Norwich money by... So Norwich kind of came up and had this plan to go straight back down, which in hindsight, not a great plan, uh, and are now on their worst losing run in 118 years. They've lost 10 in a row. Um, it's interesting, a lot of people have stopped talking about whether they're the best ever team to be bottom. They're really not. <laughs> um, but the, the log- whoever, whoever it was made the point that, um, in fact, it might have been Adrian Clark on the, on the Totally Show, now sponsored by The Athletic, like the rest of the world. <laughs> and the... Um, the he made the point that if if they'd kind of done a better job of even if they'd gone down but kind of done it more respect respectably, they would have been able to charge more money for their players. You've got Aaron, you've got Jamal Lewis, you've got Ben Godfrey, Buendia, Todd Cantwell, and Cantwell. You've got six really obviously saleable assets there who will now fetch a lower price because it is less clear that they are good enough to be in the Premier League. And I think that's. That is a, a completely valid point. Whether Aaron's, I'm inclined to agree with Steve to an extent. I'm not sure if, if Aaron's, Aaron's would go anyway, I think. 
except that if Norwich stayed up and finished 10th, I suppose the club might be like inclined to think, well, actually, we don't really want to sell you. But it's an interesting point. Is, uh, is Jack Grealish, the, the Villa talisman, is he in a different category? If Villa go down, will his, the cost of buying him wouldn't go down, would it? Yeah, if, it would do. You Surely. think so? Yeah. Dramatically? Significantly, I think, yeah. Because I, think if they, I don't think Villa, pl- like Norwich, didn't necessarily plan to go down, but clearly Grealish... Has always been a good play. What? Why would his value what drop ten million or something if they got relegated and if they, or if they didn't? Possibly, possibly more. Partly does that just as they're not in the position to negotiate as easily. Partly because he's more likely to want to leave, which also steals leverage from Villa. Mm-hmm. But mainly because they spent about one hundred and fifty million quid on players and yeah, they'd yeah. need to recoup some of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. They they wouldn't they wouldn't be in a strong bargaining position because yeah. unlike Norwich, they threw a load of money at promotion on the assumption that they would finish mid-table. It's a shame that marvellous Nakamba hasn't worked out for Villa because it's just a, a wonderful name, isn't it? A simply wonderful name. <laughs> yeah, almost almost as wonderful as marvellous or wonderful would be. Uh, just, just carry on, Hugh. It's Ch- a, it's, if anything, Chinch, it's a great name. <laughs> it's, a, it's a reasonably good name. Um, do we think that the Hillsborough in California is going to be in any way the same as the Hillsborough in Sheffield? Um it's probably further away from Manchester. <laughs> right, OK. Yep. Douglas Wood is also in the States, but in Decatur, Georgia. Um, strangely, there are no places in the UK named after a hero of the American Navy who Decatur was. Oh, I'm assuming yeah, that Hillsborough was named after at is least it Dave one Decatur? Each yeah, yeah. I was, I was going to say, did he have a first name or American Navy heroes like Brazilian footballers? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, actually, there was more than one Decatur. The father of Decatur, Decatur Senior, mm-hmm. I think was a Revolutionary War hero. So, um, Have you been on Wikipedia this morning? Been on Wikipedia this morning. Mm. Dear Hugh, Rory, Steve and Chinch, or as I like to think of you, British podcasters of great renown. He <laughs> capitalises correctly throughout that part. <laughs> Dealing with the pandemic has been helped immensely by you four gentlemen. Even without football or soccer, the podcast has been as lively, thoughtful, entertaining and funny as ever. Thank you very much. No, thank you, Douglas Wood. Thank you. I write because of something that struck me while listening to last week's discussion of relegation. It touched on psychology, which I think plays an immense part in a relegation battle. I learned this watching my 20-year-old son play youth soccer here in Georgia. He played one season in which his team were wretched, winning one or two games out of the 10 or 12 that they played. The team had good players and a decent coach, but there was a lack of cohesion. Some of the players didn't like the coach or just didn't hustle enough, but there was a general lack of belief that worsened with every loss. Every time the opposing team scored, their heads would go down and no amount of effort or belief by some of the players could carry the whole team. It was absolutely painful to watch. One season later, my son was on another team at the same club, different coach, but a few of the same teammates. The team was good, but not top class. They did not lose a game in their pre-season tournament, during the regular season, and in their post-season tournament as well. They tied just one game in the regular season. Several times they came from behind to win, and in one game with their regular goalkeeper out and only one sub, they ground out a 1-0 win with a winning goal in the last five minutes of the match. It was an amazing season to watch. In my opinion, that team was stronger than it appeared because they had a collective belief in each other. Nobody was the star. No one had a huge ego. Nobody whined about playing time, and the weaker players were pushed by the stronger players. They all put the team ahead of self, and the payoff was tremendous. The absolute highlight of my son's youth soccer career, and one I look back on with delight. I know this is no comparison to a relegation fight in any professional league, much less the Premier League, but I wonder, especially without the fans in the stands providing some measure of motivation, if the teams at the bottom are weak psychologically, for example, in Norwich's case, I do have to think that is the case. That's my two cents from Douglas Wood. Well, yes, yeah, psychology, whether it be professional sport or, or kids' sport, is, is vitally important. That is an excellent email. Sums up the position perfectly. It, I do think the psychology in, in amateur football can, 
the psychology can translate into the professional game. Anyone who's who's played Sunday League or played kids football or straw football or whatever, you have elements of it that that are, that are still true in the professional game, and we tend to kind of sneer at that idea. But I I don't think I don't really understand why it is the the like the dynamics of a team are the same. The dynamics of confidence and momentum and all that stuff that all applies. We all we all know what that feels like. I just wonder whether Sunday League football is still drink quite heavily on the night before a match is that is that still a done thing or are, are they a lot more professional these days admittedly some of the stimuli for that lack of cohesion can be different <laughs> yeah I don't think Arsene Wenger's approach to diet and and health considerations for the entire squad is quite stretched down that far yet <laughs> that did not filter down uh, we finish with two contributions sent over two weeks by the same person. Our intention was to do one of these last week, but time beat us. This week, in as much of a shock as Davy Luiz's defensive display against Manchester City, I refuse to be beaten. So here we go with the first of two from Rich Reardon. Dear new Barry Davis, next Des Lynham, hipster Hugh McIlvanny, and left back with only three fewer England caps than Kieran Gibbs. <laughs> that is, that's withering. There's no need for that. Is this a nice email? Because that's a bad start. Uh, well, it gets significantly better from your point of view and indeed all of ours. Oh, OK. Uh, continues Rich. During an email from Mark Ridley about technique on last week's show, he mentioned Rory Delap's throws. This brought me back to Newman School in Carlisle in the 1990s, where in the year below me was the brilliant Matt Janssen, who was clearly the next Maradona and an illustration of how completely crap the rest of us were at football. And in the year above was Rory Delap. I don't know about Rory's elastic arms or if he's naturally better than others that flinging it further, to quote Chunch, but I do know that his mum was an amateur athletics coach in Cumbria. And while there were perhaps some doubts in our school about Rory's chances of making it as a striker with the mighty Carlisle United, there was indeed awe about his all-round throwing prowess. If you were looking for someone to break records on school sports day, javelin, shot, discus, any event where you chuck an oddly shaped object, then Rory was the chap. Did his mother's skills as a sports coach just gently nudge along Delap's freakish natural ability at hurling stuff or was his ability the same as anyone else but coaching made him miles better as an aside the last time I saw Rory Delap's mum who is he says a family friend and in inverted commas strong character <laughs> I was <laughs> I was dropping off my own mum to meet her for lunch says Rich Mrs Delap insisted get on with it now Rich can't you see this woman wants some grandchildren I now have two daughters and I am awaiting further instructions. I am sure that there are lots of other people out there who've started families because the mother of an international footballer has instructed them to do so, but I haven't met any of them yet. Best regards, keep up the good work. That's Rich Reardon, who is in Bootle, who says as a PS, Ewoks are just Ewoks, Chinch. Have some respect. Uh, which is another callback from last week's episode. Um, I'll let everybody else do the research. Have some respect for something that doesn't exist. Okay, I will. Uh, Chinch, it quite clearly states at the beginning about a galaxy far far away yeah, but that's that's not saying it doesn't exist it can be far far away but it still exists it doesn't it exist is, david i hate to is, break it to you it doesn't exist it is my understanding that, that, that it, as steve says it does exist and it it is a documentary that was filmed mm. on location in whatever place star wars is set i've only ever seen one of them was it made by sky one no. Is it, is it a documentary? If it's a documentary, I'll take it all back. Skywalker. Chins. Ah, Skywalker. nice touch. Uh, meanwhile, this also came from Rich in response to our request to have Andy and an 80s hit pop song in the same sentence. He has gone beyond any sort of expectations that we might have had. It begins. Dear Jürgen, Pep, Ollie, and poor old Eddie Howe. <laughs> I, I, 
I overheard this conversation the other day, so I thought I'd pass it on to be read by Chinch Chunch in a Reacher style. So, bearing in mind the parameters of this little game, Chinch... Oh, let's put my glasses on. Reading glasses on, bought for £2 from the local service station. Would you like to read the section that begins here? In the style that only you know until there. Finn. Once in a lifetime, there's an amazing left-back. After a while, however, poor old Chinch was just running to stand still. Word up, gaffer, I think we're alone now, said our hero to his boss, Howard. Howard sternly motioned to our man, sit down. So, should I stay or should I go, Chinch asked. I still haven't found what I'm looking for, grumbled Howard. Don't you want me, Chinch bleated. That's the way it is. Beat it, cried Howard. This charming man, it's the end of the world as we know it, thought Chinch. I'm free-falling, he cried. After Chinch had departed, Howard reflected, with or without you, I'm on the road to nowhere. Back to life, thought Chinch. However, a fine scouse man named Paul saw Chinch and implored him, walk this way. What have I done to deserve this, contemplated our hero. Soon Chinch thought, don't believe the hype. There'll be no shiny, happy people working for this guy. He scares the living daylights out of me. He didn't. I'm off in my little red Corvette, declared our hero as he sped away. Don't you forget about me. Another one bites the dust, sighed Paul. He meant Chinch, but he may as well have been talking about his own managerial career. <laughs> that is that is seriously good, by the way. Uh, thank well you, done, Rich. Uh, yeah, to Rich. And well done, Chinch, as well. Well done, Chinch. Yeah. Um, he does have a little uh, postscript which says that, yes, he realises that, that uh, shiny happy people was actually 1991, but he says there's a pandemic on, cut me some slack. And I didn't have a little red Corvette. I had a red BMW estate, which all the wheels got stolen off outside the front of my house in Timperley. <laughs> yes, just just less less catchy 80s uh, hit song, that, uh, that particular <laughs> one. Uh, Rich, congratulations. You are our newest Buffalo. Uh, for all those efforts that have been uh, featured today. Have we, have we found the Buffalo list yet? <laughs> no, nobody has got in touch uh, with a with a list that I can trust, put it that way. Do, do you think Ewan, who's probably the person who's listened most recently to all of the episodes, might be able to tell us who he, the Buffalo is? But the problem is he might have to go back to number one again and listen to them all <laughs> how with many, that in mind. How many do we think we have? I'd Are say... double figures? About double, eight yeah. to ten, yeah, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, Small uh, herd. <laughs> Small herd. <laughs> Katie and I were uh, were trying to find something to watch on Sky Cinema last night, and I noticed uh, they've got a film on there at the moment called Buffaloed. So I wonder whether that is a I wonder it's whether a that that is a documentary about our bestowing of buffalo status on listeners. It could and be how Steve. it makes people feel. It could be, but it probably isn't. It's probably real, isn't it? It's probably uh, real, isn't it? Do you think it's real? Uh, I, I'm with the Star Wars situation. <laughs> I don't know what's real and what's imaginary anymore. Uh, Rich, you have been buffaloed. Uh, all correspondence to seppiesmenu.gmail.com. Thank you to everybody who has sent something in. Now, even though our conversation today won't really about, be about Arsenal at all, they are the reason that we are having it. Their victories over first Liverpool and then Manchester City have brought forth a conversation in which it will not surprise you some fans of each club have delighted in drawing very firm conclusions about the relative merits of the other's achievements. Liverpool Liverpool losing to the Gunners meant that they would not be able to match or beat Manchester City's 100 points. City suffering the same fate in the FA Cup semi-final means they might only win two trophies this season. The achievements that remain have been framed by comparison at the very least underwhelming and at the most complete and utter rubbish. It hints at a growing theme in modern football discourse, an obsession not just with winning but with breaking records. And if for some reason you do one but not the other, you appear to be cursed by your own successes. It's almost a case of, if you're not the best ever, what's the point in being the best? We couldn't possibly subscribe to this theory here at Set Piece Menu, otherwise we would have packed up and gone home the moment Peter Crouch started telling amusing anecdotes. So, why the obsession... With records, particularly recently. 
I think it's something that I have dubbed goatism. And I'm quite pleased with it. I like it very much. A particular, a particular phrase that will please our American friends. Yes, well, but it, and I think it's partly an American phenomenon, to be honest. It's not that I'm, I'm apportioning blame on an entire nation. Not this time. Not anymore. And it does seem... Liverpool's a good example of it, as our city this season, depending, depending on what happens with the Champions League. Um, but I also think it applies to players, that if players don't... It struck me with Mason Greenwood, basically, that Greenwood... And I, in fact, wrote a column on it... Um, Greenwood's been brilliant since he came into the United, the United First Team. He, he looks really exciting. He's clearly enormously talented. But the way he's been built up as kind of the next Brazilian Ronaldo just makes me think that he, he has been set up essentially by fans, not by the media this time, to fail. That, that he, the likelihood is that he will have an extraordinarily good career in the Premier League. But is he going to be of a sort of level to make the sort of impact that, that Ronaldo, the phenomenon, did or to match the numbers that Cristiano did, that Cristiano has or, or Lionel Messi has, it's really unlikely. And yet, if you say to somebody, well, look, I think Mason Greenwood could end up having the same sort of personal career as Harry Kane, that is taken as an insult because people have decided that Harry Kane is in some way a letdown despite having scored, I think, 150 goals in 204 games and being captain of England that Harry Kane is, is not deemed to be a kind of worthy enough parallel to someone like Mason Greenwood. In terms of Liverpool, as they've dropped off each of the records they could, they could have matched, and Arsenal are relevant there again, obviously the, the, unbeaten, the, the unbeaten one was the one that I think, that to me, is the most real kind of achievement you can, you can muster. But they, they've not retained the Champions League, they've not, um, they've not gone unbeaten, they've, they tried to get 100 points. I'm not sure what the status is on whether they can record the best ever home season. I'm not sure they can. Because um, they drew with Burnley a couple of weeks ago, uh, with City only getting, as you say, potentially two trophies, or even shock horror, finishing second and only winning the League Cup. It just strikes me that we are now that the the way football is talked about, the way we cover it, the way we think about it, the way that fans approach it, has now reached such a pitch that that any defeat is a disaster, that any failure to to match expectations that are not set that are not your own but are set for you kind of in on a rolling basis so with every win it's suddenly you're now going to win the title with every five point lead it's can they go unbeaten can they break a record it seems to be that we are almost bored of of the stuff that is meant to mean something like winning titles winning cups and scoring goals and it's if you're not breaking a record you are in some way you're not just competing with the teams who you have to face you're competing with the entirety of football history increasingly there are t two two elements to that there are the the player element and the team element so let's start by talking about the team element and the fact that there is an, an extraordinary lack of self-awareness it would seem amongst Manchester City and Liverpool fans who are accusing each other of doing exactly the same thing that they don't want to happen to themselves but it's not just them it's, it, it's something that, that applies beyond beyond just City and Liverpool it's it's something that is you this see is this unique to Premier League football or is this football around the world is this sport around the world are we just talking about Premier League football going this way goatism uh no I don't think so I don't think it's unique to the Premier League I think it's for different reasons I think it's relevant elsewhere I think now bear in mind you have three clubs in your in on continental Europe that essentially judge their seasons entirely by the Champions League and increasingly by whether they have won a treble. So I think, you know, Bayern Munich just win the league that season, 
that is not enough for Bayern Munich. If if Real Madrid winning the lead this season is a bit different, they've not won it for a while. But um, if Real Madrid just win the lead, ordinarily that's not enough. If Barcelona have a season without a trophy, it's considered a complete disaster. So I think it's, and obviously then you've got the Messi Ronaldo thing, which which applies far more around the world than it does in England. That the this idea of your con- you're continually comparing their achievements to see which one is the greatest of all time, and that can change on a weekly basis. I think it's 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 a pattern for football in general. There's so many intriguing facets to this. I think Rory's just struck upon one which demonstrates the sort of contradictory nature of it from the way that we are currently looking at the Manchester City and Liverpool thing. Because in terms of saying, well, you know, you've not won the Premier League by a large enough margin or you've not got to 100 points or you've not gone through the season unbeaten, you're effectively saying we are not valuing that club's achievements at the same time as you would sneer at the margins of victory that teams would enjoy in other countries or the long-running title successes that they are on. You can't have it both ways. You can't say you've not been dominant enough so we don't consider you to be a great team. And oh, by the way, look over there. Isn't it ludicrous that they've got that one team that's entirely dominant and always winning the title by 20 odd points? You can't have both. Surely the thing about the the thing that we've often held up about the Premier League as being superior is that level of degree of uncertainty and the the number of different teams that are, that are at any one time involved in a title race. Yet all of a sudden, in the space of two or three seasons, we're now judging it on on whether or not a team has managed to reach three figures. So when did this start? Was it a team or was it a player that that started this? In terms of the Premier League, are we, are we did Man City? start this this process well, is it not a case of one-upmanship yes it's a, it's the, the latest stick with which to yeah, be you have your to have but presumably you have to have some kind of starting point don't you for it to say well we're presuming now or you compare the city team that got the 100 points to the united team of 19 so that is that where the comparisons first start and then no, everything I, feeds off that i would say that it chinch is right on everything all of the time but particularly on this i think basically wow. what it is, is but it's not. It's it, it's both a player and a team. So I think the Messi Ronaldo thing is really important mm-hmm. because it's shifted our our expectations of what is achievable, and it has kind of inured us as a football culture, like a worldwide football culture, into the idea that records fall regularly. I think that's that's created kind of a cultural shift. And then the other thing is that with the rise of the super clubs whether it's Bayern in Germany, Juve in Italy, Barca and Real in Spain, and the kind of the four plus two in the Premier League. So Arsenal and Spurs, I think, is slightly different. Liverpool have kind of transcended. It would have been three plus three. Now it's four plus two, Does Liverpool, what Liverpool have done over, over the last two years. I think that because we've seen such... Because there's such a gap in resources and because we've seen such dominant title wins, particularly from City, but also Chelsea, when, when they won the lead under Antonio Conte, broke the record for most consecutive wins, which City then broke, I think, the year the year after or, the, or two years after, and then Liverpool matched this season. Because we've seen that, that major shift at the top of the Premier League, I think we've got used to the idea, again, not only that records get broken, but that that these teams are playing for history as much as much as anything. And we've kind of got bored of... Well, it's two things. One is that it's become normal to see teams have that level of dominance in over the course of a season, if not over the course of like six or seven, as you get elsewhere. But also, it no longer seems enough just to win the Premier League. You've got to have something to talk about. And that conversation becomes 
like an est conversation. Is this the greatest team? Is this the best team? Is this the most dominant team? It becomes a conversation of superlatives, which changes the, the it changes the kind of framework that, that that team's operating in. So instead of Liverpool, you know, 18 points clear at the top of the Premier League, that's an amazing achievement. It's well, but is that enough for a team that's that, that's been that dominant not to have left its mark in history in some other way? And I think that becomes a very becomes a very different conversation. It becomes a conversation that it's much easier to criticise the teams for, which is what basically people like doing. And there's also a clickbait element to this to, yeah. to drive a conversation. So to give you an, to give several examples from just the last two or three seasons, Manchester City reach 100 points. Is this the greatest team in Premier League history or is this the greatest team in English footballing history? Well, no, because in quite recent history a team has gone on to win the title in three successive seasons so surely that is the barometer for that conversation then you have a thing which we got seems like a lifetime ago midway through last season when City and Liverpool were going toe-to-toe for the title is this the greatest rivalry in English Mm. footballing history like these two teams finished 25 points apart in the previous season. A year, less than a year ago, there was a 25-point gulf between them. This can't be the greatest rivalry in the history of English football because it's in its embryonic stages. Yet everything needs to be right right now. Is this the best? Is this the greatest? Because that is what's going to drive the conversation. That's what's going to lead to massive Twitter poll voting or huge clicks on your website article or people getting involved in a Sky Sports News poll. There is a huge recency bias because um, clearly you will want to have a conversation about something that's happening now and you want to apply significance uh, to that and often it's drawn along tribal lines because people want Manchester City against Manchester United to be the debate of who is the greatest Premier League team of all time and it just so happens that they are cross-city rivals so that that helps it and there is also a mitigating circumstance that if, our, if, if rules if records are being broken more regularly, then clearly it's going to be more part of the conversation. But I think the frustration is, from your point of view, Stephen, and I think from a lot of people's point of view, is the, the inability to um, apply the necessary context wider than just your own kind of frame of reference of that particular conversation. It's not just about that conversation about the right now. It's about placing that conversation in a wider context. I will always remember there was a really glamorous it, kind of probably hosted by Anton Deck glamorous show at the, at the turn of the millennium and it was a, a music show it's like a kind of a big awards do where they bestowed upon people the as per a public vote the greatest musicians of the previous millennium so this is from <laughs> this is from yeah, I remember right, this 1000 <laughs> to 2000 okay and if you were to just have even some semblance of the fact that that is 1000 years <laughs> you will appreciate that Robbie Williams finishing in the top 3 of greatest musician of all time just above JS Bach <laughs> is a completely <laughs> preposterous and stupid thing and that goes to not only goes to show that you shouldn't ask the public to vote on anything but it also serves to highlight that we are incapable of having a conversation which accurately reflects the wider context, which is why it's a bit frustrating that all this is happening now, even with that, those mitigating circumstances of records are being broken more often now, so that's why we're talking about it more That often. is ludicrous. Of course, Adele should have won that poll. But um, <laughs> what we have Adele, to say, hang on a minute. 2000 was if, about eight years old. If you've, got a, if you've got dominant teams, clearly dominant teams like City and Liverpool, is, is the natural thing not to do, well, it's not a competition of who's going to win the league. Clearly, this team or that team yeah. are going to win the league. Then you have to spread it wider, but has, it's got to be done sensibly. 
But again, is it well, being driven by the media again for clicks and then fans start to fuel this as well? But surely if teams are, as, if you if have a close title race, maybe we don't talk like this. Is it because we've had teams 20, 25 points ahead that we start to say, well, right, clearly this wasn't a contest. We have to place this team and say, well, how do they fit in terms of the Premier League history, in terms of football history? Isn't that a natural question to ask? I think, I think that's right. I think it's, it's partly just a search for something to talk about. The, the the media when they see that Liverpool are 10, 12, 15 points clear, it's there's a limited amount of kind of traction you can get from a, a story about you know will, will will Liverpool win the lead. You, you you find yourself as a journalist in that slightly. I'm probably more cautious than than some of my colleagues, but you find yourself or have the opportunity to be more cautious than some of my colleagues. But you find yourself in that position where you don't want to call it too early, but also you can't really you can't really write pieces about this could be, you know, Liverpool's year or why City have done this or whatever. Because you're conscious that you don't want to make yourself a hostage to fortune. So you do need something something else to talk about. You need to find a way of framing it that will engage people. And the kind of the is this the greatest title race in history is this thing. I mean even last year when it was dead close. And Liverpool and City were just winning every week. There's a limit to what you can say about that, other than Liverpool and City have won again. Everything's exactly the same today as it was three days ago. Nothing's changed. So you start having conversations about, is this the greatest title race? This season it's been, you know, are Liverpool the most dominant champions? Are they this? Are they that? It was the same when City got 100 points. It's, you, you need to find a way of framing the conversation so that you feel as though you're writing about something. But I also think... What, what Hugh says is really relevant, that as a, as a broader culture, I think we're obsessed with having answers to quite stupid questions. Do you remember the one about the greatest Britain? Yeah. Yeah, and it was, it was, it was of, close between Shakespeare and Churchill, I do remember. Yeah, like, like is it better? And Robbie Williams. <laughs> Who is better, Churchill or Shakespeare? Or Isambard Kingdom Brunel? <laughs> he might have been a close what, third. How do, you, how do you kind of weigh up, like leadership in war against against great literary achievements and you kind of think well what does that say about us that we're not that we're not confident enough or not i don't know laid back enough or intelligent enough to as a as a, as a culture and that every every country will do this just to think well yeah churchill was was you know churchill did really well did a good job <laughs> but is, the, is, the, is the question wrong <laughs> or the fact that people respond to it does that Both. not does that not exactly but but in football people respond to it along these tribal lines with views that are so entrenched and so seriously held that uh, for all the frivolous nature of the last two or three minutes of the conversation, that, that is genuinely a, a, another opportunity to pin your colours to a mast. And it is, it is ridiculous to suggest anybody else other than those who have experienced that achievement can um, accurately um, reflect how much it means to them. So for Liverpool winning the league for the first time in 30 years, that is up to them how much they value that and they're going to value it absolutely massively it is not for any other fan of any other club to say yes but you didn't win the league by 19 points yes you didn't win 100 points so therefore it doesn't mean as much it is not up to them to decide what it means to those people it is the pe people who feel that success to decide what it means to so them. for liverpool liverpool fans winning their first title in 30 years do you still feel that they had to in a way justify why they deserve to win that title rather than just enjoying winning the title because people are going to say well you weren't as good as you didn't win as many games you didn't pick up as many points do you feel again you've just won the title and you're having to justify how good a team you are well, the problem I was Liverpool got close and that was I mean yeah. they looked like they were going to do it were they to win the, the league with 88 points and City 
to be four or five points behind, then then it wouldn't have been the same sort of conversation. And Liverpool no, would have would've... perhaps had the same joy without having to worry about whether they were coming up close to a number of marks, which perhaps meant something to them because they got close, but by the end of it, doesn't really matter amongst the grand context of 30 years and now a, a massive, a massive success. It's part, I mean, it's partly a product of, of where we are. So that's the thing that's interesting to me. I think partly it's a product of where we are as a, as a culture where we, we, we have to have a kind of, we, we like lists. As a culture, we like lists of stuff and we like there to be a best thing. Yes, we like definitives, the, don't we? Yeah, we like definitives. So I think that's relevant. I think partly it's, as Chinch said, it's, it's because football has become more polarised. So you, you are more used to seeing the elite run away with stuff which means that you then, as, as, as Chinch said, you kind of have to create that, um, that talk, it's that talking point culture, like, what can, let's, have a, let's have a conversation about this, we need to have a big conversation, about, let's gather the Daily Mail's three experts in a room and get them to thrash this out, what does Redknapp think, what does Sutton think, what does the other one think, Crouch think, let's get them all together, let's see what these three white guys think about stuff. And is Winston gone. Churchill the greatest Briton? <laughs> Jamie Redknapp. But it's it's about diluting <laughs> hurt, isn't it? It's about for, for all those it's other been... people, all those other people who support other teams. They don't want that other team exactly. to have unbridled success. So to dilute their hurt, they will chip away yeah. with any yeah. number of things which are significant to them to make themselves feel better, but don't necessarily have any effect on those actual people and that, those fans and that team who have who have had the success. It's, it's because football culture has become so tribal and so riven with schisms that any team having any other sort of success or joy or hope has to be delegitimized immediately by everybody else. And that, that is something that is universally true of all fans. I mean, I've got mates who, who or, or kind of social media acquaintances or whatever, who, I mean, I have friends as well. I just want to make that clear. The, um, Which category the, do we fit into? In the bread aisle in Morrison's. <laughs> The, I have a lot of friends in, the, in Market Street, let me tell you. The, um, I mean, we're Zoom, we're Zoom acquaintances, are we? Is that, we're is Zoom it? acquaintances. We're, we're FaceTime pals. The, um, the, no, the, the, don't support teams that have a direct rivalry with City or Liverpool or Manchester United or Arsenal or whoever that, that aren't locked in that weird kind of top six bubble who are adamant that you know Liverpool have failed or that City are let down or that that this is true or that that's true. I had a, a possible listener, my mate Latch, who's a Bournemouth fan, who was really angry at the BBC because they, they did a special graphic for Leeds getting promoted. And his kind of contention was that, that they wouldn't do that for, for, for all other clubs getting promoted. Now, I, I don't know whether that's true. But also, is it so weird that, that the BBC should want to kind of piggyback on the coattails of all the traffic that comes from a city of 750,000 people and one of the biggest teams in the country getting promoted? Is that... Is it odd that the BBC should the BBC should treat Leeds differently to Brentford? No, not really, because Leeds are enormous and Brentford are not. Great achievement if Brentford get promoted. Hope they do. Great team, but just make but sure there's not. a graphic. <laughs> well, but they're not. It, like it, it's not that surprising that Leeds are bigger than than Brentford, and I think there's a real kind of sense that fans generally are now conditioned not to want any of their rivals to to kind of succeed in any legitimate way. And the best example of that, to be honest is the stupidity of the, the Messi-Ronaldo thing, where the, the real hardcore on each side are not saying, I think my guy is slightly better than your guy. They are saying, my guy is the best ever, and your guy is shit. And you think, well, that is, that is not an intellectually defensible viewpoint on either player. You just ca you cannot make that case. The player argument is 
completely different when you're talking about Messi and Ronaldo. That that argument is along team tribal lines. The the conversation that we've had mm. so far has been about teams and about how you uh, you fashion your arguments. Uh, differently but for Messi and Ronaldo it's the same but if we now go back to your original point Rory which is about Mason Greenwood Mm. and the players who are perhaps ones of great potential and therefore anybody who has great potential and doesn't live up to what that potential might at its very zenith be are considered some sort of failure another person that you mentioned in your piece was Wayne Rooney who, despite the fact that he was England captain, has record amounts of goals for his club and his country because of the way that he didn't quite maintain his boyish vigour from the age of 18 until the age of 34, he is considered for some reason some sort of failure. And this is where we get a little bit obsessed with records when a player is concerned because even when they break them, if they don't break them and break them and break them and further them and further them, it seems like that they are still somehow diluted from what they could have been. Rooney's an interesting one and we've sort of spoken about this before, but he he did display for, for long enough glimpses of potential greatness, which is why we perhaps frame what he achieves slightly differently. What's interesting about the the thing that the, the Greenwood comparisons to Brazilian Ronaldo that Roy was talking about at the beginning of the discussion is that Ronaldo's greatness and legacy is built upon us being able to reflect upon what he achieved. Not just the numbers, not just the wonderful goals, not just those moments that took our breath away, but also that in hindsight, we're able to see the players that he influenced, find out about the players that he influenced and reflect upon those moments with the benefit of hindsight. So that's why it's always extraordinary to me that you would take a teenager and immediately start comparing them to an icon and debating whether or not they are going to reach that level. Because when Ronaldo was 18, we weren't talking about Ronaldo like we do now. Give Mason Greenwood or whoever the young player is the opportunity to build their own legacy and and reach those heights without immediately saying, we're not just comparing you to this player when he was at his peak. We're comparing you to how we reflect upon him now, 20 years after that point. It is very true. If you go back 25 years and Mason Greenwood came along, we, we wouldn't be saying, right, you're, you're this. Yeah, that's not how players, when they came along, were talked about. But again, is that, again, modern society with the, the tinternet, the availability of stats, records seem to be all important these days. That Because Mason Greenwood has come along now and not 25 years ago, that's the natural thing to say. Clearly, this lad's got talent. Who, who can we compare him to? What should he be achieving in his career? So again, it's, it's the timing of it as well, because people can look at every step that he takes, every goal that he does or doesn't score, the availability of stats. We, we didn't have that 25 years ago, really, did we? To, to the degree that we've got it now, and people and the media and the fans don't look into it as much as they did 25 years ago. So is that just, for Mason Greenwood, it's bad timing. But again, the pressure on him is just astronomical. It's unfair, really, to put that kind of pressure on a, a player, a talented player, so young that you probably wouldn't have got if you played in a different generation. But we are, with the internet and the stats, able to quantify greatness in a much more, at least much more comparative way than perhaps we were ever able to do. So the point that, that you made, Rory, about the goatism, Wayne Rooney was great, but because he wasn't considered by the end of his elite career as the greatest of all time, he was therefore considered something of a letdown. Now Mason Greenwood, I imagine, is not necessarily considered to be 
on the path to be the greatest of all time, but still the levels of what we expect compared to what he ends up delivering is going to be fractured somewhere along the way to necessitate some sort of negative reaction. That, and that's the problem with this goatism. And Patrick Mahomes in the States, he's just signed this massive contract. He has won his first Super Bowl. He has been Super Bowl MVP, MVP. He's been regular season MVP. And already they're talking about whether he might be the future greatest of all time, having only just bestowed upon Tom Brady at the age of 41 or 42 that he is probably consensus the greatest of all time. So there is an obsession just as much over there. But there, there's, there's is also with individual players just as much as it is with teams. And is, is Harry Kane then going to fall into the Wayne Rooney category? No matter what he does, he's going to be seen as kind of Wayne Rooney in that mould of Wayne Rooney when he's done really well but he's not the greatest of all are we always comparing players to the Brazilian Ronaldo and Ronaldo and Messi because if we are it's incredibly incredibly unfair because the records and what they're achieving are completely off the charts surely there's got to be some lower level because it's really really unfair if Harry Kane scores a goal a goal a game for his career and then we actually say like Wayne Rooney breaks all these records and we say well yeah but he wasn't quite good he wasn't as good as Messi was he but who is? Who is? I think that's really daft to actually try and compare the modern player, any modern player, to the truly, truly, to Maradona. To, to You can't do it because I know you're saying, well, we all aim for that. I aim for that and fell a little bit short. Smidge. You know, I was, I was no Kenny Sansom. But again, the, the problem is the, the benchmark, isn't it? If that's the benchmark and Man City and, and Barcelona, what they've achieved, the incredibly high points tallies or wins or brilliant football that they play... That isn't necessarily the benchmark, really, is it? Because most teams can't get anywhere near that. Most players can't get near those levels. Is it a bit like a drug? The, 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 I wouldn't know, Steve. I don't take drugs. I just say no. When we're talking about the statistics and, and using those to, to form an opinion on things, whereas we perhaps didn't have that in the same way as when Ronaldo was at his peak. So what we what we have with Ronaldo is the way that he made us feel at the time when he did something brilliant. Those astonishing examples of exceptional play that we hadn't really seen previously that you're now thinking well where are we next going to get that fix we can get a little bit of it from watching youtube clips of ronaldo back and clearly we get it from messi and ronaldo but is the outlook when you start saying well this is the next this is this guy is the next greatest of all time are you effectively saying I am putting the pressure on this individual, whatever that sport might be, to provide me with my fix of my drug of witnessing exceptional footballing moments for the next 10, 15, 20 years. It's all on you, buddy. I think there's an, there is an obsession with living through history. That, that is definitely the case. And I, that, that, I'd not thought of Mahomes, but that's a really good example that Brady kind of at the end of his of his throwing career where he throws the ball and people catch it. It's a bit like Rory Delap, isn't he? He's an American Rory Delap. Rory Delap would have been an excellent QB would he? one. Was he accurate with his throwing? Can he just fling it miles? The, um, if, if only the, Brady the, had been born in Cumbria. I know, exactly. No, no, no. They would have, they would have <laughs> clearly been fighting for the same spots. He needs to be born as far away from Cumbria as possible. He Rory Delap had that position. He could have held all sorts of Lake District throwing <laughs> timber records. But actually, if, if you think about it, if, if Rory Delap set those records and Brady didn't break them but was just brilliant, Brady would therefore, by our conversation today, be completely second be class and rubbish. <laughs> But it, 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 the timing of it is really interesting because it, it does kind of suggest, like Steve says, that, that when people, when, when the greatest of all time honour is bestowed, it, it feels like a, like a closing point. And the, the natural 
media culture, fan culture, whatever it is, wants to then think, right, well, what's next? Who's next? You can, you can be, you can be the great... I mean, the very phrase, the future greatest of all time, is stupid. That is a stupid phrase. And the other thing is, what would happen if, if Ronaldo, Ronaldo rather than Cristiano, came, came along now? The, the hype would be insane. And at the end of his career, he would be judged to be a failure. And it would only be like 20 years later that we'd, we'd all reassess it and be like, hang on, this guy had a massive impact on an entire generation of players and completely, and com- completely redefined the position he played, the the kind of idea of what's possible in the sport and and football as a whole. Like Ronaldo has a massive kind of conceptual legacy on, on football generally. The standards we set are now so high that even if Ronaldo turned out to be the next Ronaldo, he would still be a failure. And that is extraordinary. Rooney's Rooney's a brilliant example because I know what Steve means that like he did have flashes of Wait, periods where you thought this this kid might go on to become kind of genuinely not just one of the best players England's ever produced, which he is, but maybe one of the you know one of the greatest. But in what did he have to? What, what what did he need to do to achieve that? But, what more could that, he have done? Because you look at you look at what he actually did in his career, and you think, well, I don't I don't really know. Like, what what more do you want? And I think that that's the problem for someone like Greenwood is that even if Mason Greenwood fulfills all of his potential, even if he does all of the things or similar things to what Rooney did, even if he wins all of the trophies that Rooney has, even if he gains all of the individual acclaim and the individual honours that Harry Kane has got, I still think when we come back, come to look back at his career, there will be a talking point about whether he has fulfilled his potential unless he hits those like Messi-Ronaldo numbers. And I think that's, that's a really important factor in this, is that they have changed on an, in, on an individual level what we think is possible. And we still haven't kind of... We're still not able to live that idea that we know they're exceptional. Yeah. So at the same time, as Chink says, it, it, it's not a benchmark that we can be setting, and the media needs to be aware of that. But f- I think fans have to kind of accept mm. it too that the, the nature of that social media discussion has to change a little bit, because otherwise you are just you're not going to allow yourselves to have any heroes. Because I remember when I was when I was growing up, um, it was kind of Pele, then it was Maradona and Cruyff, and it was kind of well, who's in the top five? Who's in the top three? That tended to be not who is the very, very best. It's who who have been maybe the best three or the best five players in in world football. But that's where Messi and Ronaldo, as you say, because of what they've achieved, and it has become him against him, and who is the mm. best of these two. That is the problem then for footballers that follow them. Is that that is where the benchmark has been set? We seem to forget now about Maradona and Pele. They don't come into the conversation anymore, and that is the problem that modern footballers have with the achievements of Messi and Ronaldo, because it has been a, a, a shootout between those two. You're either a Messi fan or a Ronaldo fan, and the numbers are ridiculous for the pair of them. But again, if that's your benchmark, no one, no one is going to be able to live up to that. Mason Greenwood or anybody is going to be able to live up to that. And and uh, something that is relevant to both when you're comparing players and great teams is that you can only really judge it on a very small window of time. The thing about the Ronaldo and Messi debate is obviously is they are, they're in the same era. They're playing at the same time, so you can judge them against each other. The idea that you would judge Greenwood against Brazilian Ronaldo when their, what, their career trajectories are going to be, what, 30 years apart is absolutely absurd. It, to the same extent as when you're saying about the way that Manchester City and Liverpool have won the title over the course of the last three seasons and saying, are they the greatest Premier League teams ever? Well, no, hang on a second. In order for them, there's a finite number of points that can be won in any one season. And if Liverpool or Manchester City are getting 100 or close to 100, that means that teams somewhere else are dropping 
more. You can't simply say, well, because Manchester City won the title with 100 points, they are greater than a team that won it with 85 or 80 because the depth of competition that season might have been greater. The teams down the bottom of the table might have picked up more points during the course of that season. So they were they were more squeezed together or there was a greater battle for the European places. So stop trying to judge things that are separated quite mm. clearly in time and enjoy the competition that you are witnessing at that point. Always the big question how rubbish the rest of the Premier League has become. Not uh, saying that Liverpool and Man City aren't great sides, but actually there is an argument side. I've watched again Premier League for the last 10 years. I, I think the standard is dropping. If you take away the, the, the very good teams, I, I do think it's dropping. So is that more the worry, not how good the top teams are? Is well, what's happening to the rest of the well, league? It's, it's no coincidence yeah. that there are more records now because they have to, to achieve those records, yeah, yeah. be better, significantly better than those who will potentially the goal, stop They, they can be better, but the teams they're playing can be a hell of a lot worse it, as well. It's exactly. easy to win games. The, the golf is widening. I've, I've done the numbers before. I won't bore you with them again. But there is a oh, gen- please bore us. There is a massive downward curve in terms of the cumulative number of points that the bottom three sides in the Premier League are getting season on season. It's dropping pretty rapidly, in fact. So that for, for that to happen, that clearly means the top of the table are accruing more points and I guess as the, the the top teams become more dominant the greater the opportunity for brilliant in, exceptional individuals within those teams to excel is also enhanced and in an environment where it's incredibly difficult to agree on anything in this regard we can at least say that the best two players in the world over the course of the last 10 to 15 years are Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi in no particular order but we also definitely know that in third place in a very strong third place is Robbie Williams and that <laughs> That is by a public vote, so it must must be a matter more of clinical in front of goal. He'd be he'd be in the conversation as well. Well, no, no, I'm just, all I all I think is is it's fine that isn't isn't by Kingdom Brunel built all those bridges and stuff, but could he not have written a play? Is that not is that not is it, well, just a, son, a sonnet is is barely yeah. barely double figures worth. You can't of build lines. a bridge at night unless you have you know lighting, and he didn't have lighting, so well, write I'm, a sonnet or something in I'm, the evening. I'm assuming it's the storyline of the new Bill and Ted reboot. They're going back in time, <laughs> bringing prominent historical figures to an alternate alternate uh, universe or reality, and see if they, as well as being great wartime leaders, can also fill the Globe Theatre. Isn't bad. Kingdom of was decent, but George Stevenson would always get my vote. He was a, a an innovator and he did move this country forward so vote George Stevenson it's time for Nevermind Jack and Ori what a soccer story this is an Andy Hinchcliffe tells the tale from his playing or broadcasting days with all adult behaviour and libel worthy details removed um, having to use words for a living for a former player is, is a worry and you know me well guys uh, I, I have occasionally said the wrong thing a and <laughs> yes that's it and I was it happened, I'm going to go back there's, there's something that happened Way back when, when Howard Kendall first took over at Man City, when I, I said something I shouldn't have done. And I'm going to go to a very recent example of it. So I've learnt nothing over the years. That is the major problem. <laughs> there now, go. there's the moral to I, this. I didn't realise that, that Howard Kendall had, God rest his soul, had a bit of a, a body odour problem. And it was one of his early trips. We were travelling down south uh, on a coach, which is unusual these days. And we're getting picked up at a service station. So all the City players are there. And for some reason, I was in the squad. And Howard had got on the coach quite early and he used to for some reason like to travel in, in just his underpants and but what? again yeah strange but that's not the story amazingly I think we might have had that story because yeah yeah because he was in, in, in an enclosed space 
a warm enclosed space. There was a certain musk upon entry to the to the coach, and I think it's Gary Megson. As I got on, Gary Megson was behind me. The Ginger Mourinho. The Ginger Mourinho. And as I got on, I, I won't use the actual words that I said, but good lord, that's that that's a strong odor. <laughs> and Gary Megson kind of. So we all sat down. Nothing was said, and then he, he came over and said, "Do you, you realise what what you did there?" And I said, "What do you mean? That that smell is is Howard." So again, that's probably why Howard Kendall didn't like me and why he continued to sell me throughout my career. But again, putting my foot in it, saying the wrong thing at just the wrong Inch. time. Sorry. Inch, yeah. that, that, that is definitely the reason that Howard Kendall didn't like you and tried to sell you constantly. He I thought just... it was because I wasn't very good at football. No. No. That, would would, would people hold it against me? Yes. Really? the mystery. Even yeah. if you're wearing a pair of underpants and, and you do smell quite badly and someone points that out, is that, how, is that how a reason he... to be sold? Did the other players think it was weird that Howard Kendall was sitting in his pants on the bus? No, because he was, and he used to smoke a little cigar as well, which, again, let's not get into that. But, uh, yeah, well, people are not going to say anything, are they? They're not going to say anything because he's the manager. I don't think modern coaches would probably do that. I can't, I can't see, see Nigel Pearson, you know, it's a shame he's left Watford, but I can't see him sitting at the back of the coach in just a pair of Speedos. He doesn't strike me as that kind of guy. Of all the modern coaches, yes. I think Nigel Pearson is yes. exactly the one who would. Oh, do you think so? <laughs> Manager's, mo- oh, sorry. Um, Manager's most likely to, Ginch. Uh, okay, uh, Sean Dyche, he wouldn't do that, would yes, he? Yes, No, he wouldn't. He would not. He would. Anyway, anyway. so this, this happened way back when. This is a recent game I did, Sheffield United against uh, Chelsea. So we do the pre-match interviews. And I don't know whether the listeners know, but the, the players that get put up for interview have to be in the starting 11s for the team. So we don't know. We're doing this interview. It's just before the teams get announced. So there's a kind of a debate. Olivier Giroud scoring goals for Chelsea. Tammy Abraham's fit again. So I'm asked by Jeff Shreves, uh, who, would you, who would you start today? Is it Giroud? Is it, is it Tammy Abraham? So I start, again, waxing lyrical about Olivier Giroud, the focal point. He's got five in eight games. So pretty obviously, Frank Lampard has to go for Olivier Giroud. As I say, Olivier Giroud, out of the corner of my eye, who comes out of the tunnel being ushered by our floor manager to do the interview pre-match? Tammy Abraham. So I couldn't then say, but you know what? Thinking about it, if I was really clever. So again, just timing. My timing is absolutely terrible. It is. It is. And it hasn't changed. I do tend to say things. That's why I shouldn't be doing podcasts. I shouldn't be broadcasting because it's amazing. I've not got in really serious trouble. Probably after this podcast, I will. But again, just the time of it. Yeah, I definitely go. Definitely, definitely has to be Olivier Giroud. Tammy Abraham's being put forward for interview. So again, I look an absolute ass. Uh, keep your correspondence coming to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Stephen, Andy and Rory and to you all for listening. We'll be back with another Set Piece Menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. Have any of you guys really said the wrong thing at the wrong time? Not I do, because clearly we, we all shouldn't have said that. But uh, anything, Steve's having a good think, anything you've really got wrong with an employer maybe? Have you... Had a drink and said something you shouldn't have done. I just feel like I've said gen- a picture of something you shouldn't have done. I think it's safer to just keep my foot in my mouth all of the time, and therefore you're not going to disappoint yourself. You, you strike me as a man who thinks long and hard before he he utters anything. I no, I'm 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 really bad for saying the wrong thing, just out of um, sheer nonchalance and and thoughtlessness. To be honest, no, I, I can't think of any specific examples, but I know I know the sensation change really, really well. That sort of that pit of your stomach. Yeah. Oh no. Feel your race face reddening. Yeah. yeah, and you just think, yeah, this is that was the wrong thing to say <laughs> at this precise moment, and I don't know. I've got I've, I do I can think of one example, but I'm not going to use it on air because it's it's slightly upsetting. But yes, I I have done it many many times. Change. I am with you. You. Uh, all the time, but again. 
to such an extent that I couldn't now repeat them. I, I remember a t- from my music days when there were two people joining the brass section in the orchestra that I was playing. Oh, I thought you were talking about your, your days with Marillion. No, 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 no. but that, oh, that, right, that, okay, came, that came afterwards. Fade out, fade out, fade out, fade out. No, we want to hear the music I story. I really want to hear it. And I knew one of them was a guy called Nathan and the other was a girl whose name I couldn't remember. And this person with short hair walked in Sat oh, down Stephen, and I no. said, "Oh, you must be Nathan." Hello. Oh, Stephen! Oh no! It's like the Ricky. It's in the Ricky Gervais scene, I think, in Extras, when the makeup lady wants him to sign a photograph, and he, she says, "Can you just make it out to me?" And he clearly doesn't know her name, and he's trying to, he's trying to get. So who do I make it out? How do you spell it? Is it the usual spelling? She just said, "Yeah, just the usual spelling." And then eventually she says, "You don't even know my name. I've been doing your makeup for two years. You don't even know who I am." And she just takes the picture away. But that is that is that feeling, isn't it? Where just, oh God, just get me out of this hole.